ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Okay, clap. One, two, three. <laughs> you went to do it too. All right, welcome to Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Matt Sydney. And Matt, what's your favorite scary movie? Um, I don't know, like Jason, the one with the hockey mask. <laughs> <laughs> we are kind of like, not last minute, but like out of the blue, we kind of got the idea to do this bitch and scream episode yeah from the original i mean we're going to talk about the whole franchise but 1996 dimension films scream this is a one that i'm surprised we haven't gotten to before i mean this is a big franchise i think this is one of the new heavy hitters this is one of those franchises that has a long lasting legacy for it you know it's an iconic character that kind of came out of left field and suddenly turned the genre on its head but i'll be honest i didn't like it at first Interesting. So when you say at first, what do you mean at first? Well, when I was diving into horror and, and watching as much horror as I can, I actually found the slasher genre to be kind of base. Like it, it, it really didn't have a lot going for it and it didn't really appeal to me. I was like, yeah, okay, makeup effects. But the in-between was kind of... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> well, they were cool, but like... There's actually not a lot in the first one, too. Well, and there's not a lot going on in, in all the sh- slasher genres. I mean, Freddy was interesting, but... At the end of the day, you're like, really? These movies are just killing kids? I I thought these were supposed to be, like, really scary or something about it. And they were just kind of fun and goofy. And, you know, it didn't impress me right off the bat. And when you just watch Scream out of the blue without any context of watching every Friday the 13th movie and all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and and all the Halloween movies, and then you just, like, Scream doesn't really make sense if you just watch it first, you know? You mean... Like, before you have an understanding of horror? Yeah. Oh, okay, I, I okay. watched Scream early on, like, in college or something. Like It was like, well, I'll watch Scream now. And you watch it, and you're like, oh, okay. Huh. But you didn't have a horror background and a horror... Um, I was all Frankenstein, man. It was all Universal Monsters. It was all classic. Gankenstein. The Blobs. Gankenstein, man. It was <laughs> the Blobs, the Wolfmen. I mean, I loved American Werewolf in London. I loved the Blob, the original and the remake. Like, I was a, a creature kid. Like, it was monsters all day. And the slasher genre just wasn't really appealing to me. Oh, okay. So it's not that you didn't have an appreciation of horror. It was specifically the genre of slasher you weren't as into. You maybe didn't know as much about it. Yeah, and it it wasn't until, I don't know, it's until I was able to find the fun in it. When you got past that, these aren't well-made movies. Sure, sure, okay. You know, know, when you're watching a Gankenstein or an Exorcist, (laughs) and these are well-crafted, really good movies. Right, right. And then you watch a Friday the 13th, and you're like, well, there's no plot here. Sure, okay. But then there's a, you get to a point when you're watching all these movies, when you come around, you go, man, shitty movies can be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, yeah, dice those kids up. So you, you pull that stick out of your ass and then you start <laughs> having fun with the genre. This, this movie sucks. <laughs> oh, it's much better now. <laughs> I pulled the, the gigantic machete out machete. of my ass. <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, and then suddenly you're like, oh, these are pretty good. That makes sense, though. And, you know, you and I definitely at this point know horror really well. And I yeah. think a lot of our listeners do, too. And it is not the most complex, deep Shakespearean film genre that there is, but there definitely are things that make a movie good and a movie bad, regardless of genre. And even for for horror, 
there are certain things that would make it more or less accessible or more or less interesting to your audience. And I feel that you're right. right. When you subcategorize horror into slasher, slashers definitely fit a certain mold that is very cookie cutter, cut and dry. There's not a lot there. And it's actually, it's actually, that's a great way to, I think, to start off this conversation because let's talk about Freddie. Let's talk about Jason. Let's talk about Michael Myers. Those movies, when you watch them, pretty much you're watching them for the killer, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the killer is pretty much the one you're rooting for the whole time. Most of those movies didn't even have a character that lived all the way through. In Halloween, Laurie survives, but she is the lone survivor. Yeah. So she survives a couple movies, and then the franchise is like, uh, we're going to go wherever the fuck we feel like into cults and shit. But like before that, we're on Laurie, but she is the the stereotypical survivor girl she's the final girl yeah exactly and the one final girl and and that really set the sort of set the archetype for what those movies are and i mean halloween is kind of the first obviously oh i know i know black christmas (laughs) yeah i know i know there's there are a couple of movies that sort of are precursors to this but halloween was the first one it's a dude in a mask with really no motivation other than he's pure evil and you're like okay (laughs) right 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 and uh, he's going around stabbing the shit out of people. And it worked. It was a formula that worked, but it set off a trend of just every single movie was this easy to make. Let's kill some teenagers to prove some sort of Reagan era point that drugs are bad. Buzzkill. You know, like what? Sure. What, what was it? But then it, it got stale fast. I mean, even Friday the 13th, couldn't last like three movies before that concept was pretty stale. Not to say that I don't love me some later Friday the 13th, but as far as the genre went, people weren't, you know, people got it. They knew what was up. And you know, it's, it, well, I was going to, that's a great segue to Friday the 13th, is Friday the 13th, the truth, deep choop 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 I got, <laughs> I got so excited, my, my mouth tripped over its own feet, like a Josh Kelly and Super Gator. <laughs> Duber Gator? Friday the 13th is essentially the same idea, guy in a mask. It's a ripoff, yeah, killing. straight ripoff, I mean, yeah. And to be fair, Friday the 13th, the first one, oh, by the way, there's going to be a shit ton of spoilers in this episode, so if you haven't seen these movies, first of all, what the fuck, stop listening to us and go watch them right now, but... We're going to definitely talk about some spoilers of who's killers and who's this and that. But don't watch them unless you have a fine appreciation for <laughs> <laughs> shitty films. Yeah. Otherwise, they will, quote unquote, not really impress you, Rumi. <laughs> if you have a giant stick in your butt, please do not watch these films. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Friday the 13th, the first one, his mom is the killer. And that's a really good movie, and I think it's very tight very. by itself. Once you start into number two, the, 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 the final girl from the first one gets killed immediately in the fir- in the second one, right? So she survives just for a couple minutes of that second one. Then in the second movie, now we have the traditional mask killer. And from then on, for the rest of the franchise, n- nobody really... I mean, one or two people survive from a movie to a movie, and a couple people are in it or have cameos, but there's no characters that you are with throughout the franchise. And Scream is, is the exact opposite. They have a couple of characters that survive throughout the whole franchise. And I, I, I Not read... Not necessarily the ones you want, though. That's true. Fair <laughs> enough. But you know... <laughs> you I'm do... Looking at you, Constable Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If there's anybody that should have been killed, and actually, uh, some people know this, some people don't, but Dewey was supposed to die in the first one, but just to have options, they shot him still alive at the end, and then Wes Craven liked his character so much, he left it. <laughs> Stupid. Wes Craven doesn't know anything. <laughs> no account for taste. 
But as you said, like these, this genre, the slasher genre, really just went into overhaul. There were just so many. I mean, there's a dime a dozen of these movies, and there's just hundreds of them. They're easy to produce. I mean, you need a mask, you need a weapon, and you need some teenagers doing some drugs and having some sex, and you just let the killer loose on them. But by the time we got to the 90s, like this genre had been played the fuck out. Like mm-hmm. it was boring. I mean, they, it really didn't have high regard. They were pretty much blasted in theaters. They weren't even, they weren't even really making it to theaters anymore. And Wes Craven was kind of asked to come back and reinvent the genre. And he did. He did. He dropped this movie. When well, did first he said no. He was like, nope. Yeah. He said no. But what made him change his mind? Do you know? He was like, there's some stupid kid in Indiana, and I have to impress his dumb ass. <laughs> <laughs> I heard there's some kids sitting around being not impressed by slasher movies. <laughs> Well, I think I think the script speaks for it. Is is sure. in the first yeah. film when it came out, this movie it, it it was a commentary on it. And and what's funny though is it's it's almost a parody because it's taking all these tropes and really holding them out there. It's mm-hmm. it's self-aware, it's meta before everybody was using that word, but it really kicks you in the face right off the bat and means like, yeah, we know we know horror movies and our characters know horror movies and we know horror movie fans. Sure. And it's 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 like a love letter at the same time, but at the end of the day, it was like, this one's for all the fans out there. Well, I think the thing that makes it work, and, and this can be said about other things like, like Stranger Things, I think is a good example. It's one thing to craft a love letter, but you have to accomplish what you're trying to do as well. Yes. So if you're making a horror movie that is also a love letter, it has to be scary. You can't just write a love letter and have a killer in it. That doesn't make it a good horror movie. That might make it a good love letter. The interesting thing is this is very much a horror movie made by people who got horror movies. Whereas sure, yeah. Maybe here's a here's another example. The movie like Cabin in the Woods is an over-the-top, straight-up like, hey, we love all these things. Let's cram it all into one movie. Sure. And and it's a different sort of, like you said, like this, this is a love letter, but it doesn't get distracted by writing the letter. It's making sure. a horror movie. And Cabin in the Woods is great. I loved it. I loved yeah. what it did, and I, I loved it as a movie. I think it's so a, much fun. Yeah. It's a, I think it's an okay horror movie. But like, if we were having a horror movie night and we were looking in my closet and we're like, okay, what movie should we put in? I would say Scream way before Cabin well, in the Woods. I think the funny thing is, is it's an okay horror movie. But even when they create the horror movie, the people in the movie go, "Oh, that boring one. That one's so boring." Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, let's start at the beginning, man. It starts with the classic. I mean, it's it's just playing with that. Sure. The call is coming from inside the house. Classic horror trope. I mean, this has been used over and over again. I mean, Black Christmas. This was the original mm-hmm. premise of Black Christmas. Somebody making prank phone calls to freak people out, and it turns out to be a killer. And we start out with a big star, Drew Barrymore. And everybody's like, oh, Drew Barrymore, she's going to be the star of this movie. And although the movie was not publicized very well, that's one of the things that led to its initial lack of success because it didn't it did, wasn't it didn't blow the doors off right out of the gate it just lasted well but it also came out around christmas, christmas time right and, which i think is a great idea if you market it well yeah but you know any, anyway those are things that that those are challenges that the movie then overcame and, and became a success but in almost all the marketing drew barrymore is front and center as what you would assume based on every other movie post you've ever seen that she's going to be the star or at least a super important part of the film which this is something that blows my mind is nowadays in today's marketing era mm-hmm. like 
the trailer would straight be like, but she dies in the first five minutes. Spoiler alert, that's what happens. That's but true. Like, we would not be able to get to the movie theater without knowing that our main protagonist was gone right away. That's that's true. And you or know, the person we think is the main protagonist. And it's funny because we'll talk about this in, in, when we get to the sequels, but Scream 2 was one of the first movies that the internet originally started to blow up. Like parts of the script were leaked, and yes. then Kevin Williams had to rewrite certain things about who the killers was. Like he yeah. changed some of the ending because people had already read the original script, right. which I think is very interesting. But yeah, this is uh, this is one of those red herring things that I mean goes back to you know even Hitchcock, where Hitchcock would do, and there's actually a lot of Hitchcockian type of storytelling in this. Yeah. Let's time. say the first movie specifically. Yeah, there's a lot where the movie itself is telling you how horror movies work, so it's essentially telling you what is going to happen. Yeah. And that in and of itself builds suspense when you then realize, oh shit, Randy said this is going to happen and this is now about to happen, which means I know this is going to happen next. Well, like you said, Psycho, Scream did something very similar. In Psycho, they kill who you think the main character exactly. is and that's a, in the that, first 20 minutes. And I think that's one of the coolest hooks of that movie. I mean, you and I have the the benefit or the the not unbenefit, the what's the opposite of a benefit? Detriment? Yeah. Of seeing that movie well after it was a thing and no, I mean, I knew pretty much the whole movie before I saw it. Didn't make it any less effective to me, but yeah. when people went to go see that movie, it must have been how you and I felt watching Drew Barrymore get killed. We were like, wait, Janet Lee is dead? We're 15, 20 minutes into the movie and she's dead? That's a ballsy move for a movie to make because that will take you out of the moment. That will take you out of the film and, and maybe stop well, your suspension of disbelief. And the funny thing is, is I mean, you're killing what is basically your biggest star. All the sure. other people in this are very recognizable now, but other than Drew Barrymore, I mean, it's it's Courtney Cox, who was big from Friends at the moment. Sure, exactly. But she isn't the lead of this movie. Correct. She plays one of the most annoying characters. And I heard that's part of why she wanted that role, she because wanted to she be... didn't want to be Monica, nice yeah. girl Monica from Friends, and yeah. actually that almost worked against her. They didn't want to cast her for that, but she was so persistent. And then, I got to say, and she does I was a great thinking job. About, I mean, you love to hate her. She nails it. And in yeah. all four movies, she plays a, a decent, I don't want to say evolution, because it's not like she went through crazy character arcs or anything, but she does change from movie to movie. And I say that the character and the actress does a really good job portraying that, I feel like, you know? This movie kicks you in the face right off the bat, you know, killing who you thought was going to be the main character. It's a great scene. It has mm -hmm. a lot of tension in it. It's really great how the killer shows up. Immediately, we find out that, that in this movie, as opposed to most other slashers, is that the killer is fallible. He, he can get hurt. She's throwing plants at him. She's kicking him. She's slamming doors. I'm going to get into that. <laughs> I mean, in the first 10 minutes, he, he smashes his head through a window, and she smacks him in the head really hard. Turns out that's actually Wes Craven in so, yeah, the ghost face. I heard that, and I read multiple reports, either that said that was Wes Craven. He smashes his head through a window, and then she hits him with the phone. Yeah. And or when later on we see Randy on the couch and he's looking towards camera watching a movie, Ghostface creeps up behind him and then leaves the room without killing him. I heard that that was also Wes Craven. I've, and I saw multiple interviews and articles that said both were. So I don't know which one is real or if they both are. But And uh, interestingly enough, Matthew Lillard was never in the costume. But Skeet Ulrich did wear it once. Interesting. So, yeah, you have all these characters that are, are, are now very recognizable. They've all gone on to have very big careers. But they set up these archetype characters, which aren't anything new. Sure. But they're almost aware that they are the archetype characters. Mm -hmm. And the one we keep mentioning is Randy, and he is the horror movie-obsessed kid, teenage buddy, played by Jamie Kennedy. Mm -hmm. And he lays out at the party they're watching 
Halloween mm-hmm. fitting. This movie has tons of Halloween references in it. Yes. But he's at at the party. Which is awesome because in Halloween, I think it's H2O. Yeah. They're watching a Scream sequel, yeah. which means that those worlds are aware of each other, kind of which aware. is kind of cool. Well, and here's another one. Here's here's one before we get into the rules. Right when Drew Barrymore is murdered, her parents come home and they're like, oh my God, something's wrong. And her father yeah. goes, go to the McKenzie's, which is the neighbors that Laurie Strode sends the, the children kids to. to it, right, in, at the in, end of in, Halloween, uh, at the end which of Halloween. is fun. So in my mind, the murders in Hannonfield happened, and then the Mackenzies were like, we've had enough of this shit, so then they moved to Screamtown. And real quick, before <laughs> before we go into the rules, and this is, again, and I think we're going to talk about this a lot today, is that the whole homage slash love letter to a genre, love letter to specific films, Sometimes when you do that too much, when whether especially if the characters are too self-reflexive and yep. self-aware, or just when you keep referencing other movies, for me at least, and maybe this is true for you, maybe this is true for everybody, but sometimes I'm like, why do you keep talking about other movies? Are you not good enough on your own merit? It's like if you were dating some chick and she kept like talking about who else she dated. Yeah. And I was like, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there's the inverse problem, whereas like, well, I mean... If you don't mention it. Not to shit where I eat, but like, yeah, The Walking Dead doesn't use the word zombies. And it's like, did you guys ever watch movies? Like, has there, has there, <laughs> like wh- no one in that world would ever say the word zombie? They don't say the word zombie, and they act like, well, when it first started, it was like they had never... They no, yeah. <laughs> like, I've never heard of this concept. Where then, you know, the I think is one of the original, like, parody, straight parody, but... Not, what, what, how would we describe it? Uh, Return of the Living Dead. It's mm-hmm. a parody. It's a comedy, but it is very self-aware, and that right ends up being a very effective, badass movie. Sure, and again, there's that fine line of... But I love that they bring it up. They're like, didn't you see that George Romero movie? Uh, we got to hit him in the head. Right. Hits him in the head, and it doesn't work. And it's like, I love that it was like, yeah, we're not that movie, yeah. and we don't o- apply to those rules. And I was like, that's brilliant. Well, this movie, uh, appar- and I, I read this, and I've watched the whole franchise within the last month or so, but in the first one alone, there are at least 15 scary movies mentioned by name. The Bad Seed, The Howling, Terror Train, Prom Night, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Evil Dead, Exorcist, Friday the 13th, Halloween, Carrie, Silence of the Lambs, Psycho, Hellraiser, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Fog. Which I just watched again last night and I finally like it. <laughs> the Fog? Yeah. I still don't I like that movie. Could get into Wait, it. Wait, maybe, maybe, maybe it's my turn to watch Try it tonight. tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why last night I liked it, but anyway. No, I've never so, liked The Fog. So tell us, Rooms, we got some, some rules here all right. for surviving so all Jamie these So Jamie Kennedy gets up off the couch because the kids don't get the rules, and he's pissed about that. So he tells them, there are rules. You will not survive if you have sex. Womp womp. You will not survive if you drink or do drugs. Womp womp. You will not survive if you say, I'll be right back. Everyone is a suspect. And there are two additional rules that come from the killer later. You will not survive if you ask who's there, and you will not survive if you go out to investigate a strange noise. Meh. I don't know if those two are as stringent as the other ones, but up until this point, that was really laying out what sort of the formula for all of these movies were, because at the end of the day, they were morality tales. All the Friday the 13th, all the Nightmare on Elm Streets, all the Halloweens were basically big buzz kills on kids doing drugs or having sex or going to loud music parties. And it's funny because I think if you're a fan of the genre, you kind of unconsciously, intrinsically know a lot of those things. Yeah. But again, I think it's really, it really is clever because it did it well that this movie was like, I will now call attention to this 
and then abide by it and also debunk it to a certain extent. Like there's a line where Sydney says, uh, the ghost face calls her and he's asking her about scary movies. She's like some big busted girl running upstairs when she should be running out the first door. And within five minutes, she's attacked, and she does just that. Now, yeah. granted, the door's got a chain lock and everything. It's not her fault. Well, she tries. But she, she does. At least yeah. tries. Yeah. But she does exactly what she said she uh, she was going to do, which I think is uh, it's a really really clever way to do that. It's almost like if you if you went to go see a magician and he was explaining how he was going to do certain things, and some of it was exactly what he said, and some of it was misdirection. Just like we keep saying. There's a very fine line where you might spoil your own joke. You might spoil your own trick doing that. Well, but you've often said it's not so much how impressive it is when you don't know how it's done. Sometimes it's just as impressive when you know how it's done and it's done so well that you're like, that's awesome. Because it's like we know special effects and we know visual effects. And when you see it done well, that's almost as impressive as if you didn't know how it was done. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's as close as I get anymore to a whoa, because I mean... We're, we're in the kitchen. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. Our lead girl, our final girl, uh, played by Nev Campbell, she ends up having sex in the movie and, and survives, sort of debunking that myth, which is cool, but man, Skeet Ulrich, really? The creepiest guy you could possibly have sex with? He's the guy that you're like, yeah, that's hot. No. Girls love that shit. That whole movie, he has like murder face on. The whole movie. Oh, girls love that shit, the though. The whole movie, he looks like he's trying to... Fuck it. I love how I'm saying that, like, whole movie. <laughs> the whole movie. He just looks like a killer. And they straight, I mean, they're trying to make you think he is, and then they try to make you think he isn't, and then he is, and you're like, yeah, but I knew that the whole time. Even when you tried to show me he wasn't, you're like, he may be quote-unquote dead, he was still a killer. Like, he might not be this movie's killer, but that guy was, like, killing puppies or something. I just, like, look at his face, please, somebody. And he, you know, that movie did a great job of doing the whodunit, where who, who's the killer, who's the killer? Like, and again, Friday the 13th, the first one, it didn't play that up, but it purposely showed you a lot of perspe- a killer's perspective shots and also didn't show you who the killer was. And it gave you clues, like clearly most of the victims knew who the killer was, yeah. which leads you to believe as the audience in Friday the 13th that you are familiar with who the killer is, right? Yeah. You think that if someone in the, in the, in the show says, oh, hey... They're talking to someone else you've seen. And it turns out that's kind of true, kind of not. But in this movie, they definitely play up where like, okay, one of these people or more than one is going to be the killer. And they drop little hints. And then, you know, obviously, after you've seen it a dozen times, you can start to see a couple more, you know, hints and and things where like, oh, that's why this character would say that. That's why this character wasn't in this scene. This character was here. This character was there. They do a great job because it it, it has to be one of these characters and and. When they finally reveal that it's not just one but two characters, that was a big. That was actually, I think, one of yeah. the biggest innovations of the screen Agreed. franchise. And is one that of them we had not... just watched been quote unquote killed. Yeah. So that's. I thought that was a really good trick. That was a really good reveal. It was, and they do a great job with it. I love that the costume is not something fancy. It's something that you can just get at a Halloween store. Let's talk about the costume. Let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about talk about ghost ghost face. Yeah. All right. So, first of all, did you know his name is not Ghostface? What is it? You don't know? Well, what well, I, I think it's called Mr. Phantom? Mr. Death. Very close. What is it? Father Death. Father Death. In the movie, they say the killer was wearing this costume and they hold it up and it's a cheap Halloween costume that yeah. says Father Death. Later, Tatum, when Tatum is in the garage and Ghostface comes in, she says, oh, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. 
and that name kind of un- like stuck throughout the oh, rest of the movie. Yeah, it's like yeah, later yeah. in the movie, they started to refer to Ghostface as Ghostface. He is a funny mask, though. Like it is kind of based off of the Scream, the famous painting. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got a sad kind of face going on. Like, like it. It's almost like he came in and like his ice cream had been spilled on the floor. And he's like, oh no, <laughs> like. But he came sad in. Sad summer clown. That he, sad yeah. summer ghost. That's the name of the mask. Yeah, like his dog has had had pulled all the pizza off the counter and just like tearing it up. It's that like, is oh, hysterical. No. <laughs> Even before getting ready for this episode, I actually did a bunch of research about this mask because you know how when I like when I want something, I want the best version. I want the most authentic, etc., etc., etc. So I did a lot of research and then filled in some of the gaps for this episode. So you want to drop a knowledge bomb about ghost face masks? <laughs> knowledge bomb. So the original mask that they wanted to use was seen in someone's house on a location shoot for this film. Hmm. In the script, it's not referred to as anything. It just says a masked killer. It might say a ghost-like killer at some point, but it doesn't describe anything. The mask itself was developed for Halloween and, and you know, like uh, party stores and stuff in 1991, 1992 by a company called Fun World. And they had a series called Fantastic Faces, which had a bunch of different faces. In you know different different expressions and whatnot, this one was called. You ready for it? Yeah. The peanut-eyed ghost. <laughs> Not to be confused with the penis-eyed ghost, which was a different kind of <laughs> mask found in a different kind of store. <laughs> Just imagine what that looked like. <laughs> oh no! I, I dropped my ice cream. <laughs> And then they had the version that you pumped the the heart and blood. <laughs> yeah, Except blood. for that version, it wasn't a heart boing, and it wasn't boing. blood. <laughs> <laughs> so the rights were owned by a company called Fun World, but Craven loved this mask. Right. So he wanted to work out a deal with them. For a while, they weren't able to, so they talked to KNB Effects. They talked to Berger, uh, Howard Berger and your man Greg Nicotero oh, yeah. to create a couple different versions like of their own. So they changed it slightly. Before the final deal was actually struck with Fun World, they did end up shooting some, including all the Casey Becker stuff was used with that mask. And when Henry Winkler gets killed and he's playing with the mask and then, you know, uh, Ghostface jumps out of the closet and stabs him. Yeah. That was all the KN, one of the K&B masks, which looks very, very similar. There's only a couple very subtle differences. But they eventually did make a deal. Fun World still owns all the rights and they have all the marketing rights and merchandising and stuff like that. But Scream was allowed to use those masks and costumes throughout. So for most of the movie, it's the fun world mask. Exactly. So it's a pretty much the exact same one. And, and, and what I read was supposedly that Wes Craven loved that idea that you could just go out to your local store and get the same exact mask. Eggplant-eyed ghost. <laughs> there was influences, like you said, from Edvard Munch's The Scream. There's also the album The Wall by Pink Floyd. And there were ghostly characters that appeared in a Betty Boop cartoon that were supposed to be an influence as well. There was a designer named... I'm going to butcher this name, but it was Fleuritan. And he, sta- he or she stated that they liked the mask because it displayed different emotions. It's a horrible look. It's a sorry look. And it's a frantic look is what the... the oh, my the ice cream. Yeah, or, oh. or, or it's just bummed out. <laughs> he is very expressive. It's, and it's, it's effective because anybody can have it. So you don't know if it's just somebody going trick-or-treating or if it's... Killer, it, it, it really works well. And I like that in this world, they know that that's just a Halloween costume. So they never know who the killer is. And when he surprises people, it, it, it's effective. Works really well for that. 
And I got to say, there's one other cool little factoid that I have here. The mask, the father death, which then was released in real life, in our world as a scream yeah. mask and scream costume. The costume comes with a belt. At huh. least in the entire first movie, he never wears a belt, which I thought was interesting. I haven't looked and checked. It's something I literally noticed this morning while doing some, uh, hmm. some last minute uh, research on stuff. Good knowledge bomb. Yeah, it was pretty. I mean, I, I, you know how I get, right? And I really wanted, I really wanted like the best version of the mask. And there's a thousand different types of yeah. uh, stamps on them and different types of blah, 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 different versions of the mask. Yeah. Something that I find funny about the Scream series is that it's like, it's like this hyper, hyper amped up version of high schoolers. Like, I'm sure my high school partied. And I'm sure there are high schools that party. Yeah, I know. But like, <laughs> these kids party hard. And the parents just seem okay with it. Like, even the cops are like, oh, you kids drinking hard hard liquor at this house alone with no parent supervision while a murderer's on the list. That's cool. You, you rascals. And, like, nobody right. seems to care. And I always found that kind of weird is how, I mean, they, they act like college kids who are never graduating and not high school kids under a murder lockdown situation. Right, 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 right. But I guess that, that had become sort of a that became sort of a staple of the Scream movies is party hard kids. Like there's the, the, the big set piece of the movie takes place at a large high school party and it goes on for like almost 42 minutes long. It's like a big chunk of the last act of the movie. It took them 21 days to shoot this. And I don't know if a lot of people realize this. And I mean, it's one of those things when you think about it, you go, well, yeah, I guess duh. But when you shoot a night scene in a movie, you don't get it done in one night. Right, right. Especially there's this is pretty much a whole act of the film, right? An it's entire the act. act. It took them 21 days to shoot this, and you can only shoot it at night. So, what time does sun go down? Right now, the sun goes down at like eight thirty, nine o'clock, and then comes up at like six in the morning. So you're shooting from like nine o'clock at night to about six in the morning, like six in the morning <laughs> every single night. It's brutal. It's brutal. So these people had to work nights like that, night shifts, and then during the day, people still have to prep and get ready for the next day to be ready to shoot this scene. And when they were finished, the crew wrapped and they had t-shirts made that said, I survived scene 118, because in the script it was scene 118. There's a little little mini bomb. <laughs> I want to keep talking about Ghostface. One thing that you mentioned before is how he keeps getting hit. Yeah. And I, like I said, I watched in the whole last month or so, I watched the whole franchise. Yeah. He gets hit a lot more than the average person, okay? And I watched the first one, at least the fights and stuff, this morning. Yeah. In the first movie alone, okay, he gets, Casey Becker hits him in the face with a phone. He tackles her. She knocks the knife out of his hand, knees him in the balls. Later, <laughs> Sydney trips him at the doorway, kicks him, and then starts to run away. Tatum hits him with a freezer door, then he runs at her, and as he gets close to her, she like crouches into a ball, and I'm counting this as a hit. He runs into her so hard, he flips over her. She throws beer bottles that break all over him. Sydney slams a door into him. She kicks him in a police car. Like, and that is all Ghostface the killer in the costume. That's not even Stu and, and Billy yeah. at the end. That's not them. That's just when he's in the costume in the first movie. There's that many times where he gets hit. And then there's a lot of times where he, and now you could say that some of this stuff was like staged, but like when he's, and this also might not be the actual killer, but when a ghost face is in the stall, the bathroom stall with her, 
He lunges at her and she slides on the floor under him, like Sub-Zero style, and he can't get her. He can't get her in the house at the end. He's like running and trying to, he's always trying to grab. There's a lot of times where he like goes to grab somebody and they duck. and He like empty air grabs them. And uh, even Casey Becker at the very beginning of the movie, she almost gets to her parents. Now, granted, as the movie, that's a device for us to feel more anxious, but right. come on, Ghostface. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for being a popular horror character, he's one of the more inept ones. Like Jason Voorhees wouldn't put up with any of that shit, man. Like, he would come out from behind that tree and cut your head off right quick. Now, this is something also that I've thought about. This is one of the few slasher franchises with a human killer. Actually, yeah. multiple human killers if you go through all four movies, yeah. right? In the first one, it's two different guys. In the second one, it's two, also two, two different, different people. people. The third one is one person, right? And then the fourth <laughs> person... I know. That almost looks like they like shot five different endings and we're just like, throw a dart and it's like, okay, it's that guy. Yeah. And in the fourth one, we again have two killers. And the TV um, show, they have two killers. So it's like, <laughs> and it's a cool, that's a staple and it makes that stand out from everything else. But all the, including the TV show, all the, all the killers are human, right? Yeah. Which is interesting because it, I feel like it changes the dynamic of the entire world, right? Yeah, because all the other movies had turned them into like supernatural killers. I mean, Michael Myers was always human, right? He's just, he wasn't a zombie at any point. Well, I mean, he, in the beginning of two, Halloween two, Loomis keeps saying, I shot him six times. I shot him six times. And he must say that line about 10 times. It's more than six times. He says it in the second one. And he shot Michael Myers, presumably six times. Let's assume they all hit. And he fell off a a second story window and hit the ground. And he also gets hurt throughout the series and he doesn't die, right? Yeah. So he's supernatural in nature, right? I, I suppose. I mean, he I mean can, at some he, point. He can take a licking. I mean, he doesn't, he, he's not like Ghostface. You don't kick him in the nads and he true. goes, oh. And then they do in three, they say, and, and that's, this is one thing that's cool about the whole, we're going on a slight tangent, but the whole franchise is it does keep pushing the envelope with the telling you the rules and stuff. And yeah. I think that's the only re- truly redeeming thing for the whole franchise. It keeps changing. The second one tells specifically rules for sequels. sequels. The third one has specifically rules about a trilogy. Yep. And one thing that they say is that all the rules are thrown out at that point and it's different. And they specifically say the killer has supernatural abilities, which I didn't really see in three. So that might be the thing like, uh, you know, Nev Campbell changing her or having sex and being okay with it. Oh, no, no. He has he has a bulletproof vest on. So he gets shot, uh, shot a bunch. Oh, I of see. He, gets, he does get shot a couple times yeah. and it, it doesn't and he has really a bulletproof matter. Vest. And then the fourth one, they kind of touch on the idea of reboots. And what the rules are, and there really is only one rule, and I, I like I like the rule that they lay out in the fourth one, but I suppose we'll get to that. Okay. Oh shit, my phone's ringing. Hold on, I don't know who this is. Answer it. Right now? Yeah. Okay. Hello. 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 Who is this? Aaron McLean from the Launchpad Podcast. Oh, good, Aaron. I like to know who I'm looking at. <laughs> I am, I'm flabbergasted. Like Matt, Matt has been hiding who I've been, who who we have coming on the Launchpad podcast today. He wouldn't tell me. He wouldn't tell me. I this can't is a guy I'm at a Comic Con, I think. But uh, who is this? Well, I'm not sure. I want to talk to somebody who's gonna diss my character so much. I gotta <laughs> gut you like a fish. You, you and your little Jason T-shirt. Jason, <laughs> wrong character. <laughs> little bit of freaking out right now this is pretty awesome i i, 
Aaron. I mean, I, yes, sir. Look behind you. <laughs> he looked behind him. <laughs> Where is he? I mean, he's got to be in my Nest camera and like crawling through the cell phone. Matt's probably streaming our conversation right now. To this oh, I see you crap. and your little, your little pink popper stopper windscreen. <laughs> Aaron is talking into a microphone with a pink windscreen. This is pretty awesome. All right. How are you doing it? Are you streaming it to him right now? No, I'm just, this is live video. I'm just taking a video of your reaction. Oh, my goodness. Clue, he's not here. <laughs> <laughs> don't be so sure. Why don't you say I'll be right back and go check the front door? No, no, don't. 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 Don't, don't leave me alone. <laughs> I'll be right back. Oh, there's nobody at the front no, door. No, there's <laughs> Not yet. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. This is amazing. So, Mr. Scream Voice Man, <laughs> welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. Hello. Uh, how did how did how did Matt find you? I think he looked under a rock. <laughs> he called me. Oddly enough, I was actually making some popcorn, getting ready to watch a scary movie, and uh, I got all the questions right. So he had nothing to do except we just shot the shit for a while. Oh, he didn't murder you <laughs> in front of your family. Didn't tie you up and straight kill you in a garage door. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. This is the original phone voice from all of the screen. At least in the first one, he's credited as phone voice. This is actor Roger L. Jackson. All right, enough of this deception. Here he is, <laughs> the real person. <laughs> We're going to ask you to dip back into that voice, but Mr. Jackson, please meet Aaron. Aaron, oh my Mr. Gosh. Jackson. Mr. Jackson, thank you for coming on the launch pad. I, I'm literally blown away because this... It, oh, I'm it, so excited. Dude. He was so cool about it, too. He was ready since Comic-Con. Oh, my gosh. So you guys met at Comic-Con. Why don't, why, Matt, how did this happen? I watched Scream uh, about a month, month and a half ago, and I was like, oh, man, if I can get in touch with that guy and have him call Aaron on the show, I know you'd lose your shit. And I was like, all right. But it was right before Comic-Con. I was like, I'll wait till after Comic-Con. And then Mr. Jackson had a panel at Comic-Con. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get in touch with him at Comic-Con. And we eventually connected and... The second I told him what I wanted to do, he started laughing, and I was like, I think that means a yes. Oh, man. You, so you met at Comic-Con? No, we ended up not actually physically meeting, but we oh. talked a lot. Of, he called me the night of our panel, and it was like at the end of everything else that had happened that night, he called me, and Mr. Jackson, I told you, I, when you were, you were talking to me, I said, Mr. Jackson, this is kind of surreal just to hear your voice, and you slipped into ghost face. Do you remember what you said? No, I don't. <laughs> he said, just be happy I'm not using this voice. That's amazing. And I lost my shit. No one was by me or anything. I was like, it was one of the, it was the most surreal thing that happened in all of Comic Con. So you obviously have a very iconic voice, but have you been doing voice work for Hollywood for many, many years? Is is that sort of your bag? That's my job. I am a professional voice actor. So what are some of the other things you've done? What might have other people heard your your golden chords with? Well, if you are familiar with a show called The Powerpuff Girls, are you? <laughs> I am familiar. <laughs> then you will know that I am a mojo jojo and uh, you are my slaves at least you should be now go and get me some iced tea that's amazing so you do powerpuff girls that's that's so cool and so when you're developing these voices do you just talk to yourself like in the car all the time yes i do <laughs> I'm continually practicing things Sound effects I've done a lot of sound effects And animals and stuff uh, I do sound alikes For some different actors 
what's a sound alike for? We, he and I did a test the other day, and he was going on and on doing all these voices. I recorded it so well, you could hear it later for sure. But Say they're doing ADR, additional dialogue replacement in a film. Right, because, right. Uh, let's say, Liam Neeson has to say, get me some iced tea. But he's in Hawaii, and they don't want to pay his rate to fly him into Hollywood to come and record, get me some iced tea. <laughs> So they hire a guy like me who does sound-alikes for some different actors, and I come in at a much cheaper rate, and I, I'm like, Hush, Rufio! <laughs> Rufio. Dude, what if he's at the door? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do ADR for animals as well? Yeah, I've done a lot of animals and monsters and things. I did a lot of animals on The Sims, and I did monsters on the early Dungeons and Dragons video games. And I, <laughs> I've done a lot of monsters. Lord of the Rings, I did a lot of wargs, orcs. <laughs> That's ins- uh, it's unbelievable. I'm also if if you play The Sims, I'm the checker playing chicken. <laughs> Where did this start? When did like when did this start? As a young man, many many years ago, actually, I was a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> A quote from the the B Clibben cartoon: "It was hell," says former child. No. <laughs> no, as a kid, I I got into puppetry and started doing voices and acting, and so I studied acting and artwork. I was a commercial artist for many years. So and you you would draw, paint? Yeah. Well, um, I I do those things, but uh, I used to be the art director for a, a large company that did a lot of music merchandising company called Winterland Production. So I've done t-shirt designs for the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Public Enemy, Pee Wee Herman. Whoa. <laughs> Amazing. That and, and and so as a kid you were you were doing puppetry, you were doing graphic design and, and you just were were making sounds on the side? <laughs> no, it's it's part of the puppetry thing. You got to come like yeah, yeah. You got to come up with some voices and stuff. And when you're doing a puppet, because you got to sound like it's got to have its own character. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and and when did when did somebody go put that guy in a sound booth? Let's get him doing our voices. Well, I had uh, I love cartoons, you know, and yeah. and film, and I had. Um, I'd wanted to get into voice acting for a long time, but I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't know how to, to get an agent to uh, how you approach cartoon studios or whatever. I didn't know how to make a demo tape. And then uh, one day at work, somebody uh, told me they heard an interview with a woman who opened a voice acting school here in the Bay Area. So I went to their introductory course, their introductory uh, class, and I said, "This is for me." So I signed up for everything I could, studied all the different voices, 
uh, all the different aspects of voice acting, tried to learn everything I could. <laughs> and I, through those classes, I got an agent. And then I got a better agent. Thank heavens! Oh, she was, the voice <laughs> was terrible! No. Got a better agent, <laughs> and uh, on it goes. Build from there. That's, a, that's amazing. So how did, how did Scream come into your lap? How did, how did you end up on that? Where, where did Scream come into the picture? Well, um, they were shooting the, the first film in Santa Rosa, which is in the North Bay here. Uh, that is, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area. And they were going to shoot the first scene. And I have to say, I will be eternally grateful to Drew Barrymore. Because when they shot the scene, she didn't want to just have a script person feeding her lines. You know, like, I think uh, um, I'll gut you like a fish. Do you understand? Can you handle that blondie? You know. <laughs> so she wanted an actor to play the scene with. So they cast here in the Bay Area for someone to do the scene while they're filming. And I got the part because it was the the they the audition was the first scene and it's just so brilliantly written. Everything you need to know is right there. It's all mm-hmm. in the character. So I got the job. I went up, we were filming, and as it turned out Wes Craven and Marianne Maddalena liked what I was doing so much, they decided not to dub it once they got bound to Los Angeles, but to use me. Were you originally supposed to be just a temp track? Yes. How did the voice development, how did that character become a thing? Did they give you notes up front, or did you just come out swinging with Ghostface? Well, as I say, it's all there in in the scene, in the script, because it's a game of cat and mouse. He's got to be, you know, have a kind of sexy voice and, hey, what are you wearing? Oh, you're making popcorn? (laughs) I only make popcorn when I'm going to watch a movie. Because he's got to keep her interested, you know. He's got to keep her on the phone and maybe pique her curiosity. But then, it's got to be the same voice, but it's got to turn a little bit. When you begin to put your paw down... On the mouse's tail. You know what I mean? Aaron. Uh, 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 I'm going to jump out this window right now. I wish you could see his face right now. Oh my God. It it is so good. I I have a little bit of a confession that I tried to, I tried to do you. Uh, I was, I worked on the Scream the TV series, which I don't know if you're a fan of or not. You know, it, it was what it was, but I was the VFX supervisor for it, working in post. And whenever they needed somebody to come do the voice for the temp tracks for the editorial, I was the guy who'd come in and go, I don't even want to do it. You're just going to just shameful. But it was fun to get to be to, to get to work on such a franchise was amazing. And, and I, it, we, I mean, we owe so much to just a voice like that character. Yes, he's a mask in the face, but that voice with the voice changer app that they use, like that is, is what makes that character so frightening and so engaging. Let's be sure to point out that there is no app that does that. No, yeah. <laughs> there is not. There's not a single thing. Yeah. You say that in one of the sequels in either three or four. I've, I've had people come up to me in conventions and go, I really love what you did. Where can I get one of those voice changers? Uh, no, no. it doesn't <laughs> exist. No, we will <laughs> confirm that here. Like this is all, Roger Jackson, this is all him. And, you know, in the movie, they say it's some sort of voice changer, but those don't, 
don't sound nearly as silky, terrifying, smooth as this. If you want to find your inner ghost face, just start by practicing your Barry White. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> really gonna tear you up. Gonna stab you. Yeah, baby. <laughs> really gonna tear you up. Just Can you sing those same words, but as Ghostface? Really gonna tear you up, stab you, baby. <laughs> yeah. Stab the movie. <laughs> oh, He and I, we wanted to try this out, make sure that everything technologically was working. And once we figured out the hiccups, we just started BSing a little bit about some yeah. of Mr. Jackson's work. But then we also started talking. And this guy, now he knows horror films. So... Uh, Mr. Jackson, if you're not in a rush to jump out, if you'd like, we were just going to, well, we were finishing up Scream 1. Yeah, I heard what you said about Ghostface. <laughs> I want you to know you'll be seeing me sooner than you want. Can you handle that? Part of me hopes one of us gets killed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This voice is so, I mean, it's iconic. I would keep an eye out on Rufio, too. <laughs> he does look scared. <laughs> That's just because he's a chihuahua. <laughs> Before you came on, we were talking about the differences between Scream and, say, you know, Halloween or Friday the 13th, those types of movies. And I think one thing we had just right before you showed up, we had talked about how the, scre- the killers in Scream were always human as opposed to supernatural. And I think the voices. Another thing that it makes that such a strong character because Jason doesn't have a voice. Michael Myers doesn't have a voice. I think that's a very important thing. It helps you, I don't want to say relate to the killer, but it personifies him a little bit more. I think any voice. And then you get a voice like Mr. Jackson's and it really fleshes that character out because that's our introduction to Ghostface in the first movie. We don't see him for minutes. For minutes. And uh, Mr. Jackson, like you said, that scene really tells you everything you need to know. This lets you know what kind of movie it's going to be. It lets you know who Ghostface is. It lets you know who the victims and the rest of the the, the characters in the movie are going to be just from that one phone conversation. Yeah, you're right there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Is it true that you didn't meet most of the cast? Uh, Yes. See, when we began, when we did the first, what was supposed to be the, the only recording, you know the room that she's in. Well, I was outside the window to the side under a little canopy because it was raining. (laughs) (laughs) You know, big time Hollywood stuff. I was kind of watching her through the window, speaking directly to her on the cell phone. But I was mic'd for better quality sound. Sure. Okay. So she heard you and we heard your mic. Yeah. And it was all live, played live. So... I think, uh, I don't know if it was superstition or what, but they decided to just keep it that way and do that for all the subsequent recordings. We played it live on the set. I'm always actually talking to them on the cell phone. And they kept me hidden away from the actors because, you know, if you're a fan of old-time radio, there's no monster as scary as the monster you make in your own mind. Right. Could you see them? I could see them. Because after that first night, I was always watching them on the camera feed. Okay. But they didn't see me. Interesting. And so they, you know, they kept me away. They didn't tell anybody who I was. So, like, 
on the second film, I rode to the set with uh, Courtney Cox and David Arquette, and they had no idea who I was. <laughs> they still didn't know the second just, film? That's they, incredible. They just thought you were some, like, PA guy. Here's a sound <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah, go get us some coffee, kid. Right. Well, I, I met Jamie Kennedy sort of by accident on the second film. I was at the hotel room, and it was late at night. I had a little munchy problem, so I went down to the vending machines, which happened to be where the hotel laundry was. And I walked into the vending machine room, and there's this guy leaning into a, a washing machine. And when I walk in, he whips around and goes, do you know how to do fabric softener? <laughs> and I go, uh, no, no, I, I don't. <laughs> it was Jamie Kennedy. So, Wow. And that, I mean, that's and he still didn't know who you were. No. Did you do the voice to him then? No, I did not. But the next day we were filming the scene where we actually, I'm talking to him in the second film, and we started playing around more. We got the lines in the can as it was, and then we started improvising. I, yeah. I improvised a line that they subsequently used in the film. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? And I could see his face, his eyes going, whoa. <laughs> on, on the camera feed, and the West called cut, and Jamie went, "That was great. Do more of that." <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, and that was a question I wanted to know: how much of it was st stuck to the script, and how much of this was improvised when you're watching them in the moment? Well, it all depends. You know, we we after that I began playing more, and uh, they were fine with that. As I say, they used some of the things I said. Uh, came up with in the films, like, uh, you know, because you got to consider that part of my job is to try to scare the actors. Yeah. To really get a reaction from them, to play the scene as a fellow actor. So, you know, like in number four, when I, I'd, I'd write down some things to, to keep them in my memory. And like when I say to Nev Campbell, I'm going to cut your eyelids in half so you don't blink when I stab you in the face. Yeah, that's the fourth one. Yeah. It, they, it, you got more brutal as it went on, for sure. Well, you have to kind of switch it up, you know, because the thing is, it's not the same killer every movie. Or killers. Right. Oh, sure. And that's the thing about Ghostface is it could be anyone. Anyone. I'm not sure there are really any more horrible monsters than human beings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the things we can do, was it Tennyson said, man's inhumanity to man makes countless thousands mourn. So, <laughs> we can see things today that uh, the monstrous is within us all. I think that's one of the reasons that Ghostface has a certain appeal, because not only is he the monster who could be anybody, he's the monster who could be you. Pretty heavy stuff. Guys, we're going to hit pause right here because we have a lot more to talk about with Ghostface, Roger Jackson. We're going to move it to two episodes. We're going to finish our conversation with Roger Jackson. We talk for like another half hour about his work in movies and cartoons and voiceover. We hear him do a ton of great impressions. It's really fun. And we talk about the other three screen movies and the television series. It's a great episode. This one was amazing. Huge thanks to Roger Jackson for coming on. Rumi, thank you for surprising me with us. That was so funny. <laughs> it's one of my more proud moments of the show, and I fucking loved watching your face. 
when that happened. And I was worried a little bit that you wouldn't know right away that it was him, but you knew right away pretty quickly that it was that it, it was the actual yeah, ghost. Yeah, it was amazing. So much fun. <laughs> and thank you so much to Roger Jackson for being on the show, for surprising him. If you think listening to Ghostface on this episode was fun, wait to hear the stuff he says in the next episode. Not only is it more great stuff from Scream, but also Roger Jackson knows his movies. He knows his horror outside of the Scream franchise, and we're really excited to get into yeah, that. Yeah, it's a lot him. of fun. The next episode's really cool. The second episode will be out next week. We're going to push What Have You Been Watching? We're going to push the mini-sode. It comes out next week, so back-to-back weeks about Scream, talking with Ghostface, Roger Jackson. It's amazing. In the meantime, keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod and our website, LaunchpadPod.com. Till next time, we're the Rocketeers, and we're out. Ignition sequence start. Six. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.